What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dugout Club, episode three. I am your host, Jake Dicker. Just want to apologize right off the bat for the gap between episodes. I know we were uploading once a week, and it's been a little bit of time since our last episode, but just a lot of different things came up. We had interviews set up that fell through, and then I tried to set up some other interviews, and I'm actually leaving for college in two weeks, so... There's been a lot of hectic stuff going on with that and orientation and, you know, buying stuff. And it's just been it's just been a lot that has been kind of consuming my time. But I am very, very excited to get back to this and to bring you guys another episode. The first two episodes, episode one, episode two, were very MLB heavy. And this episode is going to be more, you know, it might be a little bit more NBA heavy than MLB heavy. It's definitely going to be an equal split of both, if not more majority NBA the bubble is 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 awesome there was the Western Conference play-in game today between the Grizzlies and the Portland Trailblazers the Trailblazers won that game and they only needed to win one and they are officially at the eight seed in the Western Conference so we know all of our playoff matchups for the NBA playoffs starting this week so in this episode I am going to give you my NBA playoff predictions I'm going to give you my NBA award predictions give you you know my a little bubble review of how the bubble went down and you know talk just about who surprised me in the bubble who disappointed me a little bit in the bubble and then we're also going to get back into the MLB which is in full swing um, touch on my preseason MLB pr- uh, award predictions see how those are doing see how I feel about those also just who's performing well who you know we got about 20 games under each team's belt, you know, aside from the Cardinals, the Marlins, teams that have had coronavirus issues. We're going to talk about those. We're also going to talk about, you know, we touched on Joe Kelly a lot last week. That was one of our main topics, or last episode, not last week. But we're going to update on that situation. There was also another Astros incident involving the Oakland A's and Ramon Laureano. We're going to talk about that, as well as just who I, who's performing well, who I like, what teams are surprising me, and what I see going forward in the MLB. So we're going to start this week with the NBA because we've started our last two episodes with the MLB. So we're going to switch things up. And, you know, the bubble was a a huge success for the NBA. There have been no positive tests since, you know, July, the middle of July in the bubble. It's been been a great success health-wise. And also, you know, it just seems like these guys are having a great time playing the game they love. And it's been great to watch from the fan perspective. We're basically getting a, a Christmas slate of games every day. You know, games starting early around, you know, 10, 10 11 o'clock Pacific time and running through the night. Um, the playoffs start this week, which is going to be awesome to see games that, you know, not, not that the prior seeding games didn't matter, but games that really, really matter. Every every shot counts type of deal. That competitive, the, the uh, competitive atmosphere is going to be great to watch. I wonder how it's going to differ with no fans in the building, but I, I don't think that these guys are going to are going to skip much of a beat. But we had, you know, the NBA came out with an all bubble team or all seeding teams or all seeding games team as well as an all seeding games coach and second team. So we're going to cover those and then go into my playoff predictions. But first, the all seeding games team Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, James Harden, and TJ Warren. Damian Lillard was the all-bubble MVP and was absolutely insane throughout the entire bubble. Averaged 37.6 points a game, 
9.6 assists and 4.3 rebounds, shooting almost 44% from three and just under 50% at 49.7% from the field. Um, single game performances, the games, I mean, the Trailblazers needed to win games in the bubble. They didn't really have a choice because they're fighting for that eight seed. Last three games of, of the bubble, um, not including the seeding game for Portland, were against the 76ers, the Mavericks, and the Nets, all playoff teams. Damian Lillard puts up 51, 61, and 42. Earlier in the bubble against the Nuggets, another playoff team puts up 45. He single-handedly, you know, CJ McCollum's battling a back injury. He, he single-handedly willed the Portland Trailblazers to the 8th seed. You know, they call it Dame time when Damian Lillard really starts to lock in. And the the entire bubble was Dame time for, for the Portland Trailblazers. He, he solidified his spot as a top three, for sure a top three point guard in this league, maybe a top two point guard in this league, possibly the best point guard in this league. He he kind of slides under the radar a little bit because he plays in Portland, not a massive market. I think I think his performance in the bubble, I don't think people are going to be doubting Damian Lillard any longer. Another guy who kind of slides under just because he's not on a team that's incredibly, you know, performs well all the time is Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns, who... You know, the, the Suns came into the bubble as a team that people expected their team to run over. Nobody expected anything from the Phoenix Suns. When, when, when the bubble came out and, you know, ESPN and Bleacher Report put out their predictions about who's going to be the eighth seed in the West, who's going who's gonna to make the playoffs, the, the Phoenix Suns had less than a 0.1% chance to be the eighth seed in the West and literally went 8-0 in the bubble and still were unable to be that eight seed because they needed a little bit of help, but were unfortunately not able to get it. They went 8-0, and and they played some really good teams. They played the Wizards, the Mavericks, the Clippers, the Pacers, the Heat, the Thunder, the 76ers, and the Mavericks again. That's seven out of eight games against playoff teams. Like, And they won all eight of them. Devin Booker is their best player, no question. I think he's a top 15 player in this league. Could argue he's top 20 if you don't want to put him in the top 15 but I think he is a a top top player in this league and I think he's only getting better he he's super young if we're being real he's how old is he he's only 23 he's almost 24 he came out of Kentucky after his freshman year and has, has been great for the nugget or not the nuggets the Suns, excuse me since then um had four games in the bubble out of their eight where he put up 35 put up 30 in another 27 20 and 27 again in the other games uh, that they played, but he he was so impressive and really did all he could. The, the entire team did all they could, really, to to get themselves into a play-in game and just needed some help, but, you know, didn't get it. So, Devin Booker, all seeding games, first team, well-deserved. Third guy, Luka Doncic. By the way, Lillard, Booker, Doncic were all unanimous picks for this team. Harden and Warren were not, but they they ended up they they made the team. Luka Doncic, thirty points a game, ten point one rebounds, and nine point seven assists. So just just missed averaging a triple double in the bubble. You know, Luka came into the league. He's a sophomore, that's second year in the league, and I think he's I think he's one of the best players in this league. It wouldn't surprise me if in two years he's the he's the clear cut best player in this league, kind of following LeBron's footsteps. Luka never fails to impress shot 48% from the field 
and you know 30% from three it's not necessarily his strong point but he definitely gets it done I think you know Luca is 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 everything you want in a basketball player he plays he he's great on both sides of the ball handles the ball well gets his teammates involved I think that you know this all seeding team's first team may may not be the 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 only all first team that he makes this year it would not surprise me at all at all if he made all NBA first team fourth guy James Harden another guy who is going to probably end up making all NBA first team um he only played in seven out of the eight games in the bubble but in those games averaged 34.1 points 8.9 assists and 8.3 rebounds shooting almost 54 percent from the field 38 percent from three you know James Harden he's going to score points it's just what he does averaged uh 34.4 uh points per game 34.3 points per game on the year uh averaged more than that last year won an MVP a couple years ago you know what you're getting with the beard again not surprised that he did this I'm expected to see more uh, of the same um in the playoffs with the Houston Rockets fifth guy that really kind of came out of nowhere TJ Warren of the Indiana Pacers um he was getting Michael Jordan comparisons. Dude averaged 31 points a game in the bubble, including a 53-point performance in their first game against the 76ers, put up 39 against in a, in a win against the Lakers. You know, had a couple down games, put up 16 against the Suns and only 12 against against the uh, Heat. Also, his, his minutes were a little bit down in that game. But only played, didn't play in their last two games. But in the games that he played in, he was absolutely phenomenal. Really made a name for himself in the all seeding team or all seeding games first team selection. Definitely, definitely earned. So those are the five guys that really, really shined in the bubble. Now we're going to get into the guys that shined all year long. My NBA awards predictions MVP, rookie of the year, most improved player, sixth man of the year. Did I say rookie of the year? I think I did. Coach of the year and defensive player of the year. So we're going to start with MVP. The finalists for all of, the, all of these awards have been announced. For MVP, the finalists are Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks, LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers, and James Harden of the Houston Rockets. I am going to pick Giannis Antetokounmpo to win his second um, MVP in a row. He is the best player on arguably the best team in the league, the number one seed in the East, averaging 29.5 points per game, 5.6 assists, and 13.6 rebounds, shooting over 55% from the field, which is down um, 2% from his field goal percentage last year. But again, an insane uh, efficiency at 55%. Giannis I mean, he's a favorite for Defensive Player of the Year as well. He does everything you want on both sides of the ball. He's a dominant force, and I don't. I, I think he's. I think the MVP award is his to lose. These, these awards, you know, um, MVP, Rookie of the Year, Most Approved Player, Sixth Man of the Year, Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. These awards are all being voted on for everything guys did before the bubble. So their performance in the bubble is not being taken into account for these awards. So, you know, the Lakers' struggle in the bubble isn't hurting LeBron. Um, 
when I'm casting my vote here. I just think Giannis had had a better year and is is definitely a little bit more valuable to the Bucks than LeBron is to the Lakers. And that that's not saying LeBron that the Lakers are good without LeBron. The Lakers without LeBron on the court are one of the most dysfunctional things I've ever seen. But Giannis means so much to that team and does perform excels on both sides of the ball. So he is my pick for MVP. Rookie of the Year finalists, John Morant of the uh, Memphis Grizzlies, Zion Williamson of the New Orleans Pelicans, and Kendrick Nunn of the Miami, of the Miami Heat. Um, you know, my preseason pick was Zion, but I just don't think he played enough games to feel comfortable casting my, my Rookie of the Year vote for him. You know, John Morant played in 59 games prior to the bubble. Zion played in 19, I think. It was less than 20. I, I don't think I can give my vote to somebody. If, if Zion put up the numbers he put in the games that he played in over the course of an entire season, then he's my rookie of the year. But, you know, unfortunately, he didn't. He wasn't able to do that. So because of that, I'm going to give my vote to John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies, who in the games prior to the bubble was absolutely incredible for the Memphis Grizzlies. He did everything you want out of a rookie. He played, you know, he played 30 minutes a game, which is a lot, averaged 17.7 points, seven assists, and just under four rebounds and almost a steal a game, shooting uh, almost 49% from the field. He, He was the best player on that team. They lost Jaron Jackson Jr. going in, going into uh, the bubble, and he he was great. He he's the best player, I think. I, I think long term he's the best player out of that draft class. To be honest with you, I don't know if Zion has the longevity that you know the entire league is hoping that he has. I think that he needs to figure out you know his body a little bit and how he's going to maintain his health. But it wouldn't surprise me if in if in ten years we look back at the twenty nineteen draft class and John Morant is is the clear cut best player out of this uh, out of this draft class. He's my pick for rookie of the year. Most improved player finalists are Luka Doncic, um, Brandon Ingram, and Bam Adebayo of the Miami Heat. This is a very, very interesting one because I expected Devontae Graham of the Charlotte Hornets to be here as a finalist, but he's not. And the fact that Luka is, um, they don't usually give this award to guys in their second year just because there's kind of like an expected, like, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Guys, guys are expected to improve over their first to second year. Whereas guys in their third, fourth year, you kind of know what you're getting out of those guys, and when they break out, they're kind of it, it, you. You notice it a little bit more. Whereas guys like Luca, who are you know high draft picks and expected to be stars in this league, you expect them to get a lot better from their first year to their second year. But the fact that he's a finalist, I kind of want to give him my vote. Like Bam Adebayo was really, really good this year. For the Heat, he had 16 points a game, uh, 10 rebounds, five assists, which out of out of a big guy power forwards is is just is it's it's great. You know, in in last year, his his 2019 or 2018 2019, 
he was at nine points a game and just over seven rebounds a game. So he's averaging almost three rebounds a game more and about seven points more per game. Whereas a guy like Luca, who people are expecting to get better over his first and second year, you know, we talked about what he did in the bubble. But this year he averaged 28.8 points a game, 9.4 rebounds, and 8.8 assists, which the assists were third in the league. He was sixth in the league in points. You know, that's just under an assist shy and half a rebound shy of a triple-double on the year. But in his rookie year, Luka was 21.2 points, 7.8 rebounds, and 6 assists. So it's just under 2 rebounds a game more, just under you know 2.8 more assists per game, and over 7 points a game more. But So it's similar to Bam's progression, but do we discredit Luka because we expect him to get better over time because he's a second-year player. That's where I struggle with this one. Brandon Ingram, I I have watched play for years because I am a Laker fan, and I have said that he's going to break out at some point. And, you know, it seems like a change of scenery was all he needed. He was 18.3 points a game. Um, five rebounds a game and three assists per game in his last season with the Lakers this year with the Pelicans first all-star season 23.8 points a game which is uh, five and a half points more than his his 2018-19 with the Lakers his rebounds he was averaging one more rebound a game 6.1 compared to 5.1 last year and 4.2 assists compared to three assists last year so as much as I want to give it to BI just because I'm a big BI fan it really comes down to Luca and Bam for me. And I think I'm going to give it to Bam. I, I'm going to give my, my most improved player to Bam out of bio of the Miami Heat just because I kind of, I think, I think I expect that from Luca a little bit more than I did from Bam. I think Luca always had that, you know, 28 points a game in his bag and just, you know, as a rookie, didn't necessarily get there as he was adjusting to the league. But I'm going to give my my most improved player pick to Bam Adebayo. Defensive player of the year, finalists, Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm about to, I'm about to double down. I'm going to give Giannis my defensive player of the year uh, vote as well as my MVP vote. Um, I was listening to Colin Cowherd the other day, and he said he was doing his prediction awards, and he gave some stat. I don't remember exactly, but it was something like, Guys guarded by Giannis shoot like 36% from the field, which is best in in the NBA. And I think that stat alone, combined with, you know, the flashy blocks and just shutting guys down, really solidifies him as the best, as the as the defensive player of the year. If guys guys that you're guarding are shooting, you know, the lowest percentage in the league, I think that's my defensive player of the year. It, it sounds very, very simple, and that honestly might be because it is. That's that's kind of the reasoning for my vote. So I'm going to give Giannis my Defensive Player of the Year. Coach of the Year finalists, Nick Nurse, Toronto Raptors, Billy Donovan, Oklahoma City Thunder, and Mike Budenholzer of the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm really between Nick Nurse and Billy Donovan just because Budenholzer, I don't love giving the Coach of the Year to the top the top team in a league or conference when they're expected to be the top team because I don't know 
I, I just don't. I like giving my coach of the year picks or my vote to guys that whose teams, you know, overperform a little bit. And, you know, calling, saying the Raptors overperformed, you know, they're the, they're the uh, defending champions. But I think losing Kawhi Leonard, you can't you can't discredit them in the work that they've done to to basically not skip a beat. So I'm gonna give my award. I'm gonna give my vote to Nick Nurse of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, last award is sixth man of the year. Finalists are Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, and Dennis Schroeder. Harrell and Williams, both of the Los Angeles Clippers, and Schroeder of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Which you know, Harrell and Williams. It's so funny because. I don't. I don't. I've. It, this is gonna sound so stupid coming out of my mouth, but how are how are you giving two guys on the same team a sixth man of the year nomination? Like one's the sixth man, one's the seventh man. You know, it sounds stupid, and you're probably laughing at me right now. But that's just that's that's the way my my head works. But I'm gonna give my vote to Dennis Schroeder of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Average. Uh, 18.9 points, 3.6 rebounds, and four point, and just four, four flat um, assists uh, per game. He, he, he was great, you know, backing up Chris Paul, who, who was also great. Um, would not surprise me if he got some MVP votes. I know he's not a finalist, but I think he'll definitely get some ballots. But he shot 38.5% from three, Schroeder did, um, almost 47% from the field. Um. Here's here's why I'm giving it to Schroeder and not giving it to Williams or Harrell. It's not it's not the sole reason, but it's a big reason. I don't I don't consider Williams or Harrell a sixth man because do they come off the bench? Yes. But they play starter minutes. So like like the Clippers lead the NBA in bench points per game. But I think it's such a skewed stat because guys like Harrell and Williams, they don't necessarily start, but they play starter minutes. Guys like Avika Zubac or guys like Jermichael Green will start for the Clippers, and they, they'll play bench minutes. So I don't necessarily – are those guys sixth guys? Yes. But I think it's Dennis Schroeder's award. I'd be very surprised um, if he didn't win it. Um, so those are my NBA award predictions. We, we know our NBA playoff matchups – um, because there was one playing game today in the Western Conference between the Trailblazers and the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies needed to win back-to-back games to secure the eight seed. The Blazers only needed to win one, and they won the first game they played today. So everything's set. Going to start with the Eastern Conference and go down to the Western Conference. We're going to go just round by round. So we'll do all the first round, all the second round, and then you know all the way through. So the first matchup, in the Eastern Conference is the number one seeded Milwaukee Bucks and the number eight seeded Orlando Magic. I think, I think the Bucks probably sweep the Magic, and I'd be shocked if it went any more than five games. I think that you know Orlando lost Jonathan Isaac to a torn ACL, and I think the power of Giannis and Chris Middleton is just too much for the Magic to handle. I think the Bucks take care of the Magic fairly easily. We got the two-seeded Raptors against the seven-seeded Brooklyn Nets. Kind of more the same. I think the Raptors... The Raptors are a team that I look at on paper, and they don't necessarily terrify me. Like, Kyle Lowry was great. Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, Marcus Gasol, Roddy Hellish-Jefferson, Serge Ibaka, 
Pascal Siakam, like it, they're they're solid, like all around. There's no there's no spot on this team where I'm like, okay, they need work. But none of but like Lowry, I know how good Lowry is in my head, but I just can't be like terrified of Kyle Lowry. But this team is so damn good. They went fifty three and nineteen. Like they're they're I watch them and they're such a cohesive unit in everything that they every play they run, every screen they set, everything works. So I'm terrified like I say I'm not, but I am terrified of of the Raptors um in the playoffs. So I have the Raptors, you know, taking care of the Brooklyn Nets fairly easily, either again, either four or five games. Um, then we have the the three seeded Boston Celtics and the sixth seeded sixth. That's a weird word to say. Sixth seeded Philadelphia 76ers. 76ers just lost Ben Simmons for the year to injury, and I I actually really like the Boston Celtics. I think they're kind of a dark horse championship pick. So I have the Celtics taking care of of the uh, the 76ers probably five or six games um but yeah so i have the the bucks the raptors the celtics which are no upsets there then we have our four five matchup which is the pacers and the heat i really like the miami heat as the five seed they just did lose Derek jones to an injury which was which was no fun to watch he he had to be carted off so hoping he's doing well but I like the Heat a lot. I like, you know, kind of what they're building around with Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, you know, Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic, um, Jay Crowder. They got Andre Iguodala. Like, I really like this Miami Heat team. So I have the Heat, the five seed, beating the the four seeded Indiana Pacers in the in the first round of the playoffs. Um, which would lead us to second round matchups of of uh, Bucks versus Heat and Celtics versus Raptors. So Western Conference first round Lakers Trailblazers. I think this is a is a not your typical one eight matchup. I think the Lakers you know the Lakers did struggle a lot in the bubble. But playoff playoff LeBron is just a different breed. I, as a Laker fan, am absolutely terrified of the Trailblazers. Damian Lillard scares the crap out of me. I know CJ McCollum is battling an injury, but after the way I saw him play today, it didn't look like he was fighting anything at all. Yusuf Nurkic looked like a different player today in the playing game against the Grizzlies than I've ever seen him before. But I still think the Lakers get it done. I think it's either going to take six or seven games. I don't think it's going to be easy. I think there are going to be times where the Blazers look like they're by far the better team, and there's going to be times where the Lakers look like they're by far the better team. But I do have the Lakers beating the Blazers in six or seven games. I'm gonna go, I'll, I'll go with six, but don't be surprised if it's seven. The two versus the seven in the West is the Clippers versus the Mavericks. I have the Clippers beating the Mavericks in six. I think, again, I think that the Mavericks are not your typical seven seed, you know, especially with Luka, but there's so much firepower of the Clippers. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, Jermichael Green, Patrick Beverly. They're, they're a very, very deep team, so I think that they take care of the Mavericks. The 3-6 is Nuggets Jazz. <sighs> this one's tough because I think the Jazz are better than most people do. Which which could hurt me here, but I'm gonna go with the Nuggets, who 
look really, really good on paper and also look really good on the court because they, they, they run a crazy big lineup. You know, Jokic, Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Bull Bull's healthy, which is terrifying considering he's 7'2 and can just pull up from any point on the uh, on the floor and hit a three at any point. Um, I like the Nuggets a lot. I think they take care of the Utah Jazz in the first round. And then the last matchup in the West is the four-seeded uh, Houston Rockets and the five-seeded Oklahoma City Thunder. Kind of interesting because there's a, you know, the massive... Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul trade in the offseason between these teams, which I think is definitely going to have, I don't want to say implications because, you know, just a trade, but it's definitely definitely a storyline here. I am going to go with, <laughs> this is an interesting one. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the Thunder, I think. I didn't do this beforehand, so this is this is my raw my raw predictions. I'm gonna go with the Thunder. I like, I like Chris Paul a lot. Danilo Gallinari, Shea Gilgis, Shea Gilgis Alexander. That's a tongue twister. And Stephen Adams. I like, I like Chris Paul a lot. I think he's a top two point guard in this league. Top three. Again, I said I think he's gonna get MVP votes. I don't know how long the Rockets can run this small ball lineup for. They don't, they don't start a center really. It's James Harden, Russell Westbrook, PJ Tucker, Daniel House. Um. And I like the Thunder. I do. So that leads leaves us with second-round matchups of Lakers, Thunder, and Nuggets, Clippers. So we're gonna, we are gonna we started with the Eastern Conference in the first round. We'll start with the Western Conference in the second round. Lakers, Thunder. I'm going to go with the Lakers in five games. I think that the Lakers and Thunder... I think that the Thunder is a good matchup for the Lakers. I think the Lakers match up well with LeBron and AD. Um, against that lineup, so I have them going. I have them winning in five, and then I have the the Clippers beating the Nuggets in seven. I think the Nuggets are really really good. I think Michael Porter Jr., who made uh, the All Bubble second team, I think he's a stud, and I, I'm excited that he's healthy. I just don't think there's enough this year from the Nuggets to beat the Clippers. So that leaves us with a Western Conference final of Lakers-Clippers battle for LA, which people have been talking about since the season started, since even before the season started when the Lakers acquired Anthony Davis and the Clippers acquired both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So I think we have an all-LA Western Conference final. In the East, you know, we got, if everything goes as planned, Bucks, Heat, and Celtics, Raptors. I got the Bucks beating the Heat in five, and I have the Raptors beating the Celtics in six. Um, again, I think the Raptors are the most, one of the most complete teams. I don't, um, again, I don't think that there's necessarily a glaring hole in any part of their lineup or any part of their game. I think they play the best as a unit out of any team in these playoffs. But I, so I have them beating the Celtics in six. And then I have the Bucks beating the Heat in five. Again, I just think there's too much firepower from Giannis, leaving us with a Bucks-Raptors Eastern Conference Final. So it's the one versus the two in the West and the one versus the two in the East. Every bone in my body wants to take the Lakers to beat the Clippers. I just don't know if there's enough. Like, the Clippers are so deep. I know the Lakers beat the Clippers in the bubble, but there was no Lou Williams in that game. Montrose Harrell didn't play in that game. 
I just can't morally take the Clippers to beat the Lakers. Um, so I'm going to take the Lakers in seven. But don't be surprised if the Clippers beat the Lakers in five or six. Like, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But for my well-being, I have to take the Lakers in seven. I think LeBron, playoff LeBron's a different animal. We haven't seen that yet from him with the Lakers. And I think he's really, really hungry for another ring. Um, winning a ring in three different cities is not something that is done often. And I think that's something that he really wants to do with Miami, Cleveland, and Los Angeles being the third. Um, again, the Clippers, fantastic. Every time these two teams have gone up this year, it's been a battle from start to finish. But I think the Lakers get it done in seven. In the East, got the Bucks and the Raptors. I'm going to take the Raptors in seven. I think, again, most complete team. They've, they have the experience. They've done this before. They did it last year. And I think I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off between their playoff run last year and their playoff run this year. They may, may even be easier this year if they don't have to play a deep, deep playoff series with the 76ers as they did last year when Kawhi hit the buzzer beater that bounced off the rim like 8,000 times. Um, so I'm going to go with the Raptors, leaving us with a Lakers-Raptors final. And I'm going to take the Raptors in six. It hurts me to do, but I think the Raptors go back-to-back and win their second NBA Larry O'Brien trophy in two years. It hurts me to not pick the Lakers. I just don't. I don't. Watching them play in the bubble when LeBron's not on the court or AD's not on the court, there's the second unit just really wasn't getting it done. You know, we saw Kyle Kuzma kind of take the next step in the bubble, had a big buzzer beater against the Nuggets, and really looked like he wanted to have the ball in his hands. I just don't think, you know, the Lakers lost Avery Bradley. He opted out. Uh, Rajon Rondo went down, broke a bone in his hand. So I don't. I just don't think there's enough from the Lakers to get over the hump and beat the Raptors this year in the playoffs. As much as it hurts me to say as, as the Laker fan that I am, I don't. I don't see it happening. Unfortunately, but that wraps up our NBA talk for this episode. We are going to jump right into the MLB talk for this episode and not skip any time. Um, every team has about 20, 22 games under their belt. No, not eh, 22. Nah, between, between like 18 and 22. The Lakers, or the, not the Lakers, excuse me. The Dodgers have 22 games. The Padres have played 22 games. But teams like the Cardinals have played seven games due to coronavirus. The the Miami Marlins have played 14 games due to coronavirus. And the Reds just had a positive test suspected to be Nick Senzel, but that is not confirmed. Um, just something that happened post-game the other day kind of leads people to believe that it is Nick Senzel. But if the Reds get shut down, that just throws another loop in things. Like today was supposed to be the first day in like two and a half weeks that all 30 teams were playing because the Cardinals didn't play for over two weeks. The Marlins had their time off, but then the Reds things come, the red, the Reds test comes in and they don't play today, which sucks. They did. They only postponed two of their games so they could do further testing and, you know, track where these players have been and just contact tracing, but it would not surprise me in the slightest if we got five, six, seven more positive tests for the Reds if if that one test that they got wasn't a false uh, false positive. But, you know, with the games that are being played, 
teams are performing. The Dodgers are 15 and 7. The Cubs are on top of the NL Central at 13 and 5. The Marlins are on top of the East, if you really want to count it, at 9 and 5. Their winning percentage is uh, 64.3%. But the team behind them has played 22 games where they've only played 14. So I really don't know how this is going to work out with, you know, winning percentage and the amount of games played. The Braves are 12 and 10. The rest of that division, which I thought was going to be really competitive, has has not been. Which I mean, it might just be because they're all playing each other, so someone has to lose. Like the Phillies are seven and nine, the Mets are nine and thirteen, and the Nationals are seven and eleven. Um, so they could just be beating up on each other. I honestly think that's actually what it is. But I did not expect that division to be going that way. The Astros are ten and ten, which I did not see coming at all. Jose Altuve is struggling mightily. George Springer cannot hit water if he fell out of fell out of a boat right now. Um, but the the Oakland A's are fifteen and six, who I said I had coming in second place in my preseason predictions. But I said don't be surprised if they win the division. I'd be shocked at this point if they didn't win the division at fifteen and six, twenty one games in. The NL Central or the AL Central, excuse me. Twins are on top at thirteen and eight. Indians are a game behind them at twelve and nine. And the Tigers are nine and nine. The White Sox are ten and eleven. And the AL East, surprisingly, the the Yankees. I mean, not surprisingly, the Yankees are fourteen and six. But the Orioles are twelve and eight, which I did not see coming at all. the The Boston Red Sox are fit are six and fifteen, and and that that doesn't even tell the entire story. They they are they might be the worst team in baseball, to be honest with you. Um. They they give up like six seven runs a game. Like they just came off a streak of games in the last week where actually it's still going. It's seven games in a row, six games in a row where they've given up eight or more runs. They give up. They lost eight to seven to the Rays, eight to two to the Rays, nine to five to the Rays, seventeen to eight to the Rays, ten to three to the Yankees, and eleven to five to the Yankees. They're on a six game losing streak. And they, there's just no starting pitching here, and the offense is is not holding their own either. They've only scored 93 runs. They've given up 133 runs in 21 games. If you do the math, that'll tell you the story. With a negative 40 run differential, which is only is second worst in the MLB behind the uh, Seattle Mariners, who have, who have a negative 46 uh, run differential. But... Yeah, that's just what's going on around the league. But there was another... We, we talked a lot about Joe Kelly last week and his eight-game suspension, which I did predict was after his arbitration... Or not arbitration hearing. After his um, appeal hearing was reduced to five, which I still think is five too many. But, I mean, he got five. So, so excuse me. So, that's just our update on that. But there was another incident between the Astros and a team. It was the Astros and the Oakland A's. And Ramon Laureano, who is the center fielder for the Oakland A's, got hit by a couple pitches in the series, got super pissed, you know, got hit by a slider and just like the ultimate troll, like walking to first base, was looking at the pitcher on the Astros, like flicking his wrist. Like you got you got your slider has to slide, like telling him how to throw a slider, which was I thought was hysterical. Um, it's it's up there with the Joe Kelly face, but he's walking to first base, gets to first base, and it just hears a bunch of chirping from the Astros dugout, and it's actually the Astros hitting coach 
who is on like the top step of the dugout in Oakland. And if you don't know the Oakland dugouts, they're very far back from the field and they don't have like fences on them. It just like drops off. So he's like kind of walking out onto the field, like telling, like just yelling at Loriano, like kind of telling him to like, come here, like, let's go. And Loriano like drops his helmet and sprints at the Astros dugout. And the coach just like hides behind four players, like doesn't even get involved with Loriano. And Loriano gets tackled and the bench is clear. And it was a bench clearing brawl, which the Dodgers Astros incident wasn't, but like it was a real bench clearing brawl, like punches were thrown and Loriano gets suspended six games. The coach of the Astros got suspended 20 games, which was deserved. He provoked the entire incident. But it, it was just another another type of deal where it's like, we can't be doing this, guys. Like there, There's a clear no-fighting rule, especially with the pandemic. Like, we can't be all over each other and have a lot of guys in in areas at the same time because we're not in a bubble and they broke that just completely like didn't even didn't even phase them at all like guys all over each other jumping on top of each other it kind of sucked to see to be honest with you it's just really bad for you know the current time we're in with the pandemic wasn't good but another incident with the pandemic that honestly just angers me more than anything is Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger of the Cleveland Indians both go out like leave the hotel completely ignoring protocol while they're in I believe Chicago and Plesak got caught like that night and got sent the Indians send him home and basically said like you need to go home and you need to quarantine because we don't know where you were and you just completely violated protocol. Like they went out with, they went out with some of police acts friends. It was just, it was bad. And Clevenger, I don't know how got back with the team and went, went to the hotel, went back to sleep, got on the, got on the plane the next day with the team, flew to their next city and sat through team meetings and then decided to tell the team that, like, he was out with Plesak, which sucks because he then puts his entire team at risk. He puts the flight attendants on their flight at risk. He puts, you know, Carlos Carrasco, his teammate, a pitcher on the, a pitcher on the Indians, just covered, recovered from leukemia last year. Like, he is in the highest risk category. Like it's just it's just so ignorant to me that that you could that we could do that like especially now in a time of where where we need to be holding ourselves I say ourselves like the the, the players need to be holding themselves accountable and the teammates need to be holding teammates accountable and you really just need to look out for each other because if you want to play games if one guy gets it your team's getting shut down so you got to be able to hold yourselves accountable and make smart decisions. That really just angered me more than anything. Um, if we're being honest, they both got reinstated, tested negative. So thank God they don't have it, but it, it sucked to see these guys need to be a little bit more responsible. If we want to get through 60 games and we really just don't want 
the spread this virus to spread as, as much as it is about getting through 60 games we just want to keep each other healthy that's really what this is um but yeah if you guys haven't by the way you should all because i know if you're listening to this you're a baseball fan you all need to listen to the big swing podcast it's hosted by ross stripling pitcher for the la dodgers and his buddy um i believe from college but they did an interview like two days after Joe Kelly got his suspension before the appeal hearing. And they kept pushing the episode back until after the hearing because I don't know if you guys saw on like social media the other day, ESPN Bleacher Report posting all these quotes of Joe Kelly basically just lighting the Astros up. Those all came from like a 45 minute interview that Joe Kelly did with the big swing. And Joe Kelly did not hold back and he told you know, he really gave insight to the Astros cheating scandal in a in, in a light that really only somebody that's involved with the game and knows these guys on a personal level can do. Like, for example, he talked about Alex Cora, who was the Astros bench coach in 2017, who got fired by the Red Sox due to this entire thing because he basically took the fall for all these players. Um Talked about how Cora, who was his manager in Boston in 2018 when they won the World Series, basically had to flee the United States due to this whole thing because his daughter in school is getting verbally abused about this entire thing. And it's just too much for them to handle, and it's not a safe environment for them. Like, that's the thing. Those are the type of things that we as just fans don't see or really recognize how deep this this Astros cheating scandal goes. So if you want to listen to more about that and as well as his feelings on his suspension and the entire thing, check that episode out. It just went out a couple days ago. I promise you it's a very, very good 45 minutes. Um, but yeah, as we, I gave my NBA award predictions. I kind of want to check in on my MLB preseason predictions. So my MVP predictions, one actually not looking too bad. Mookie Betts. The other one, it's looking pretty terrible. So Betts through, you know, 76 at bats. They played 22 games. He's hitting 303. Um, hit his eighth home run of the year tonight for the Dodgers. And over the last, you know, 10 games, has really turned it up. He started slow, but over his last 10 games, he's hitting 325 with six home runs and um, 12 RBIs. He's really, really turned it up and just been the Mookie Betts that we know. The Dodgers offense really all started slow. Muncie, Bellinger, Betts, other, aside from Corey Seager, the entire offense started slow, but it's really good to see Mookie kind of finding his form and finding his footing and being the star that you know baseball fans know that he is. So that one's actually looking pretty good. You know, he could definitely fall off, but he's definitely will be in the talk. Uh, for for now my AL MVP was Francisco Lindor who is not not doing very well he's hitting 225 he's three home runs 10 RBIs slugging 375 I really really wanted to see more out of Lindor this year especially in a contract year because I think he is so so good and I think he brings so much on both sides of the ball. I mean, you know what he does with his bat, but his glove is 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 just one of the top in the league. Um, but yeah, this one kind of sucks because my Lindor pick was really more out of hope than anything, really, to be honest with you. So, 
it sucks. If I could repick, I'd probably go with Mike Trout because I think he's going to win the award now. I don't want to repick because we're a third of the way into the year, so it kind of defeats the purpose of a prediction. But Mike Trout is actually the best baseball player of all time. Like, I say that, like, no debate. Like, Mike Trout, Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, say what you want, but Babe Ruth played against guys throwing 85 and didn't throw pitches that moved. So it's Trout, best baseball player of all time. Hit his ninth home run of the year tonight. I believe his ninth. Um, just doing it, and he and he missed like five games on paternity leave. He's just doing it all um, on both sides of the ball. Still playing an above average center field, slugging just under six hundred. His OPS is above a thousand, hitting over three hundred. Um, sorry, slugging percentage is just under seven hundred, not six hundred. Excuse me, he's hitting slugging six ninety two, but. Mike Trout, again, just going to be a stud always, would not surprise me. My preseason AL Cy Young was Justin Verlander. He got hurt like three days into the year. So not on here, but on Twitter, I repicked, which I thought was fair because it was like three days into the year. And I went with Shane Bieber. And that one's looking really, really good. 3-0 and with a 1-6-3 ERA. His whip is below one at like 7-5-9. Um, striking, he struck out 43 guys in 28 innings or 27.2. He is headlining a staff that, you know, I just talked about how disappointed I am in Clevenger and Plesak, but Clevenger, Plesak, Bieber, Carrasco, Plutko, like that, that rotation is disgusting and Bieber is the forefront and I think he's going to win AL Cy Young. So I feel pretty good about that one. My NL Cy Young was Luis Castillo, and I was way too high on him coming into the year. I was over. I, I told people in fantasy baseball leagues to take Castillo before they took Garrett Cole, which was just so stupid. Now looking back on it, um, I think Castillo is still going to be a an All Star in this league for years to come. But he's 0-2 this year with a 3.91 ERA, which isn't bad by any means. It's just not the elite uh, numbers that I thought he was going to put up. His whip is at 1.4. Uh, struck struck out 31 batters in 23 innings. Like his, he has he has a career high strikeouts to walk at 3.88, which is really good. Um, his home runs per nine is down from last year. Uh, every year in his career, it's been over one. This year, it's at 0.4, which is great. His walks are down from last year. Strikeouts are up. Um, he's just not not the elite arm I thought he was going to be. He's very good, but he's not the elite arm that I thought we were going to see out of Luis Castillo this year. I think he's probably a, another disgusting rotation. We were just talking about the Indians, but the Reds with Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer, and Luis Castillo. Like, that's a that's a disgusting three-headed monster. But, like, if I could repick, which, again, not going to because it defeats the purpose, but just who I think the front runner is right now, I'm going to give it to Sonny Gray. He's four and one with a two oh five ERA. Um, whip is below one. Struck out forty five batters in thirty and two thirds. He was great in Oakland. Went to um, New York and wasn't very good, to be honest with you. And people thought he was kind of washed. And he has completely revitalized himself in Cincinnati. He was an all-star last year. He would be an all-star this year if there was an all-star game. And it's great to see Sonny Gray really performing 
at at the highest level that you know he's been at before you never you never like seeing guys fall off but when guys can you know rekindle what they had it's it's definitely something that is good to see from just a fan perspective my AL rookie of the year prediction was Luis Robert of the Chicago White Sox I mean he's doing good he's doing well he's hitting 274 he hit two home runs he's slugging 425 his OPS is below 800 which is okay 754 um I don't I think I think he's probably the front runner um there's no one else on the off the top of my head that I can really think about um that would win the award over him right now if he continues to put up you know solid numbers um so yeah I mean Kyle Lewis actually I'm now thinking about it Kyle Lewis of the Seattle Mariners definitely has a a case he this year is hitting 333 um with an OPS of 920 slugging 507 14 RBIs hit four home runs like if he keeps putting up those numbers he'll probably win the award I just don't think he can keep doing it for another 40 40 or so games but 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 if he does he he should win the award unless Luis Robert goes on an absolute tear my my NL rookie year was Shogo Akiyama and I don't feel great about this one hitting 231 with three RBIs he's not getting a ton of like consistent playing time because that outfield is really crowded and I don't I also don't know what's going on with the Reds and their coronavirus positive test so if he's if they don't play a lot of games then that's also an issue but I think the NL Rookie of the Year frontrunner right now is probably Dustin May of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's made four starts. He's 1-1 one one with a 2.75 ERA. And, you know, his stuff is just electric. Um, he He's making another start tomorrow or today when this comes out against the Angels. The Dodgers also just called up Kiebert Ruiz who is one of their catching prospects. Will Smith was put on the IL. So, again, I don't think Ruiz will play enough games to to get his his name in the Rookie of the Year discussion. But he's another highly touted prospect. A lot of these highly touted prospects are starting to get called up, which is super cool to see. Jesus Lazardo got called up for the A's. Dylan Carlson got called up for the Cardinals. Um, there's another one. Joe Adele got called up by the, by the Angels. So... These young guys that are getting called up, I love watching the prospects get up and make an impact. I just don't think in a short season there's really enough time for these guys to find their footing and perform to the best of their abilities, especially when they're not coming off like a like a full minor league season. They're kind of at like an alternate site. It's like going from spring training to to opening day, and guys tend to get off to slow starts anyways because they're not playing you know consistent games. So I think that hurts them as well. And you don't you don't necessarily want to give a guy who's struggling consistent at bats in a 60-game season, especially if you're a team that's competing because every game means more. Um, but if if guys like Ruiz and Carlson and Adele could find their footing, they, they could definitely work their way into the Rookie of the Year conversations as well. But I think that's going to do it for episode three 
I had a blast covering both the NBA and the MLB. I promise we'll be uploading, or I will be, not we. I don't know why I'm saying we. It's 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 just me here, guys. But I will be uploading consistently weekly. I do go off to school in under two weeks, but I'm going to. I'm very hopeful that I'm going to be able to record while I'm there as well. Kind of find a a quiet place to record for an hour once a week. I did I did run it by my my roommate, and he said that. He is he is cool with giving me the room if I need it, but but I don't know how quiet our our hall is gonna be. But I'm very very excited to keep bringing this to you guys. NBA playoffs are gonna be an absolute blast. Very excited to cover that, and you know the the MLB is still going, and hopefully doesn't get shut down because I know there are talks about it. But hopefully you know these guys are starting to be a little bit more responsible and take this thing a little bit more seriously so they can play a full season and a full slate of games. But I'm out. Episode three. Peace.